Welcome to The Downline, the official podcast for the Association of Diving Contractors International. With ADCI Executive Director Phil Newsom, Board Member Gary Jones, and Commercial Diver Armando Gonzalez. Join us as we dive into the latest news in the dive industry worldwide. Welcome to The Downline, your place for commercial dive industry news and safety. Uh, today, we've got Phil, Phil Newsom, the executive director of the ADCI. We've got Armando Gonzalez of the Bottom Dwellers and our guest, William Bertowski, or Billy, as he's known, uh, from Triton. And also, you've done quite a bit of work with the ADCI, correct, over the years, and um, and so we appreciate having you here, and uh, we're just going to step right into it. So how's everybody doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking, Gary. Phil, awesome. Good to see you again, Phil. Yeah, really, really. Well. Thanks for having me. Good to have you on, Billy Ray. Oh, man. <laughs> really, really nice to have you. Uh, so we were going to talk about uh, saturation diving and where it's at. Um, so I did kind of want to get your unique perspective on that, Billy. Um, you know, can you kind of just tell us where we are currently with the industry, you know, post COVID and, and, you know, where we are with the oil, you know? Sure. Sure. Uh, yeah. We've, uh, we made it through COVID. Um, uh you know, luckily, uh, sat, although, it, you know, COVID, uh, seemed really scary to a lot of people when it, and when it comes to sat, you know, you've got those guys, uh, pressed and it takes days, uh, from sh- shallow depths to get those guys up and, and COVID and those initial numbers that were coming out, um, that was scary stuff. Uh, what really worked in, in the benefit of sat diving is hygiene and protecting those guys from cold and flus, um, plans for, uh, non-job related illnesses for job related illnesses. All, all that stuff was in place. You know, we, we sanitize things. We log the sanitation. We know what, uh, sanitation uh chemicals to use and what not to use and and how to do it and how to get those guys uh three meals a day uh clean clothes without infecting them with every sniffles and bout of crud that goes around on the vessel and the guys outside so you know it was a it was a matter of tightening all of it up and being more vigilant um but as far as I know, uh, there was no no cases of COVID that uh, in SAT. Um, the companies that I spoke that I speak with daily, um, they all the SAT divers uh, weathered the storm really well. Uh, we had uh, you know boats come in where the boat crew was down with COVID, and the SAT divers were just in, in there going in there going strong. So uh, you know, unless there's, there's unless there's cases, and there probably are that I haven't heard of. Um, you know, it, it went really well. And like I said, uh, <clears throat> back to my original point, those, those, that's things, those things are in place. You know, we get, we get guys in there that, that they do have toothaches. They do have earaches. They do, they do have a common cold, uh, pneumonia, just general old school pneumonia is, is always a concern staff. Uh, 
he knows you can't just pop him out and get him to a clinic. So we've had that stuff in place since we've been sat diving, tuned it up for a generation. So like I said, those sat divers, um, specifically probably uh, a little bit easier to manage than, than the folks that are getting breathed on by everybody at a job site and then putting their hat on and then getting in a chamber and then getting out and then going back and getting breathed on again. Um, but you know, that, that, that's far as, uh, COVID, um, industry wide, um, <clears throat> oil field wide, uh, the sat boats are booked up. It's that the sat boats are going strong, you know, it's not, not nearly as many and it's a smaller field of companies. It's a smaller fleet of vessels out there. Um, but the vessels that are out there, they're busy. Um, We've got, we've got the gap in divers uh, experience that is everywhere in the Gulf of Mexico. We've got very experienced guys, and then we've got new guys. Um, and I'm sure Phil spoke to that, that, uh, that industry problem. And you see it, it's very clear with the sat divers. You've got guys who just broke out um, or are completely new to the industry. And then you've got the guys who've been sat diving since uh, we were children. So, and so, Billy, you serve on the executive uh, board for the Diving Safety Work Group, U.S. Gulf of Mexico Diving Safety Work Group. And, and the issue of manpower has been chewed on quite a bit. But, you know, we, we talked about SAP, but kind of tell us about surface diving from an offshore standpoint. How's, what's, what's the health of that look like? Man, I, I hate to make the exact same point again, but, you know, we, we've got uh, a lack of supervisors. Um, we have a lack of very experienced divers. Um, we've, the, the kids that are coming into this uh, industry, they're, they're good. They really are. Um, I don't think that uh, – I don't think we've seen a, a real drop in quality in the new hires. Um, unfortunately, there's just a lot of new hires and then not a lot of old timers to, you know, uh, you get, a, you, you get a, we have a big gap between the guys that broke out last year and then, and then there's guys that have been broke out for six years. So, uh, you know, um, right now there's no such thing as an unemployed diver. Um, if they tell you they're an unemployed diver, um, I'll give them a few phone numbers. <laughs> so, uh, the, the pool's smaller, the companies are smaller, but we're hiring a hundred percent of the folks that, 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 that knock on the door. If they're qualified, if they're experienced, if they, if they have the credentials, we're giving them a shot out there, um, maybe in a controlled environment, but, um, we're not turning folks away. You work for one of the bigger companies out there, right? Uh, Helix is—is is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Uh, sure, sure, sure. Uh, um, Alliance had bought um, Alliance Energy bought Triton Diving Services um, a few years ago. I, I want to say five years ago. Um, they Triton kept its identity um, and was enveloped into the the group of Alliance Energy Services. Um, 
last year, I think it was final in June or July, but don't, don't quote me on those days. Uh, we, we, as a group, uh, the Alliance energy group, including Triton was bought by, uh, Helix energy group. And, uh, we're, we're moving over, um, and, uh, transitioning to, uh, to be uh, in the Helix family. Um, again, we're going to keep the identity. The, the players haven't changed. Um, the vessels haven't changed. It's the same supervisors that you've come to know and love out there doing deep sea diving. Um, but uh, we are, are now owned by uh, uh, a much larger company in Helix, and it's going to give us uh, a, lot, a lot of room to, to grow and move. So, Billy, I, I got uh, just to kind of go back a little bit to what we were talking about before from a retention standpoint. I mean, it's always been an issue um, retaining good folks, retaining folks, period. And so you get them out of school, they come, you know, they hire on, but you know, what percentage of them really stick after, you know, a month, six months or, or two years, have you seen any change in that? Um, you know, say post COVID? No, I haven't. Um, but I will talk about it a little more. Um, I, there was a drop in, in graduates. We couldn't get graduates at all. And now they're starting to trickle back in. And when I say graduates, I mean, graduates from, uh, a diving school where, where they have the credentials to hire on as an entry level tender diver. Um, that's starting to pick back up. Um, we just hired a, a few this week. Um, there was a drop during COVID where there was just nobody coming through the door. Um, the, the off the, the folks that are graduating dive school and going inland. Um, this is anecdotal. It's just from, you know, our guys, uh, trying to get folks. It seems like more, more of those candidates, uh, are going inland rather than offshore. I, um, I don't know if that's just here or um, industry wide. Um, I, I can't. I, like I said, I, there's 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 two or three dive companies, and and safety guys are pretty incestuous. We talk all the time. Um, that seems to be that seems to be the case. But the turnover rate, I, I'd still say, that is probably the same. You know, they they graduate dive school, they come here. And maybe what they picture in their mind um, isn't isn't what is actually uh, out there. Um, uh, may, you know, uh, it, it is you are at a remote site, you are on a dive vessel. It is uh, heavy construction in a marine environment, and you're adding life support to it. So this isn't uh, it isn't easy. Um, it is a long haul to break out. Um, even if it, even if on a calendar and career-wise, breaking out is just a small section of your career. It's hard to tell that to a, a guy who just graduated diving school, and, he's, and uh, you're telling him he's going to be picking up jet hose off the back of a boat for a while. <laughs> um, but turnover rate-wise, I, I think we're, you know, uh, I, I know everybody likes to bash the new generation and. You know, and they're not like we were, and we were we were much harder. Um, but I, I don't think the turnover rate is is terribly uh, different than than what it was when when I hired on. I hired on with ten guys, and um, breaking out 
I think I was the last guy standing that broke out and of, of the generation. Um, I mean, we're counting ourselves on one hand now, Phil. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I got three guys, including myself, that from my graduating class that are, you know, still active in the industry. So I, I get it. Um, and, you know, I, there's your, to your point earlier, you're absolutely right there in dealing with all of the schools. Um, you know, the graduates have gotten real wise to the fact that there may be a little bit more stability going into, uh, the inland sector and going with an inland contractor. I don't, really find that to be true now, but there was a period of time where that was definitely the smarter play. And uh, so, you know, I think over time that'll probably balance out, but a lot of that's going to just deal with the complexion of the industry, you know, from an offshore standpoint. Yeah. um, Yeah. It it does really by all indications and, and, you know, not just me, um, sitting over here, uh, it does look like we're coming out of this downturn and diving is really going to have, uh, a future. Um, there's a lot of work out there. They're talking billions of dollars worth of, of work out there to be, to be had and decommissioning. Um, so it does look good and it does look, but, but we've all, Having been here for as many years as I, we've all heard that before. <laughs> you know, it, 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 there's always going to be another downturn. There, there just will be. Um, we're coming out of this downturn. We've had false starts before. Um, it is a commodity market. Um, I don't know if there's any way ar- around that. Um, they didn't tell me that when I hired on here. I, uh, <laughs> and it was a 30-some years later, uh, still uh, – a few downturns, a few upturns. Uh, but, you know, I, I put a few kids through college. Um, I've never missed a meal. Uh, if I do it all over again, I definitely would. Um, I would play golf professionally and uh, try to win the lottery. But otherwise, it's been a great career. Well, and you know, one, one of the things, and, and I'll just go out and, and, and say it is, is that you need to know how to, and you, you're a living example of that as, as well as, you know, even others on, on the, on the podcast of being able to adapt to the different changes within industry. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things we don't have control over, but your ability to adapt to those changes, that's really going to talk about you know, your longevity and being able to stay within the industry itself. Yeah. And, uh, and you do see that from the guy, the guys who have, uh, and thank you, Phil. I know, I know you meant that as a compliment. Um, you do see that, uh, you know, we've got guys who tended dove and now they're saturation technicians. Um, I'm not going to tell you how much saturation technicians make here now, Phil. Um, you guys would all uh, sign on as saturation technicians. Um, the, the supervisors, uh, those guys are, man, I, I hate to say this out loud too. The, those guys are writing their own tickets right now. Um, the, uh, and those guys, and, and 
the office guys with diving experience, the the managers with office experience, the the guys who move into uh, the marine side or the the life support technician side or the equipment side that come into the office, you know, those those guys are, are still in the diving industry and they're still making a living. Uh, diving without actually diving, you know, without actually putting on a cold, wet wetsuit in 12 hours after you got out of the water. So Billy, I was wondering, you know, the, the downturn has obviously justified why the pricing for uh, providing commercial diving services looked a certain way, but that that's kind of changed a little bit now. I mean, have you seen, uh, clients and end users adjust their pricing to make it more reflective of a healthier market, or are they? Is this still an issue? Man, that that is almost completely outside of of my expertise. Um, I I sit in those meetings, but I'm playing on my phone while they're talking while they're talking. EBITDA and uh, bottom lines, <laughs> but uh, from from what I'm hearing, uh, everybody's working on getting getting the pricing back up. Um, I know that that uh, like like you said during the downturn during COVID, folks folks companies were really struggling and they were uh, I hate to say working for free, but working to keep their employees getting a paycheck. Um, you know, uh, so the, there was no margins there. They were maybe not making any profit whatsoever. So, uh, I think everyone's hopeful that that, that will creep back up. Um, I know other industries just seem like they're, that it bounced back fast and, and with a vengeance to the contractor side. You know, if you're, if you're building, if you're, piling up dirt for the railroad company, you know, those, those people are making billions of dollars. And, and, uh, you know, like I said, real deep sea diving hasn't, uh, moved back as fast, but I, I think everybody is, is confident. Um, I know, I know the companies I spoke to, the, the companies are making money. Um, I do vote. If anybody's listening, I do vote that we make more money. Um, I don't know how much my vote counts. <laughs> <laughs> Pat, welcome to uh, the Downline Podcast. Pat is a member of the ADCI Board of Directors, has uh, worked for Oceaneering, been a longtime stalwart in in the industry, the offshore industry, and uh, uh, that's what we're here to discuss, Pat, and we kind of want some of your perspectives on the health of the industry, um, and we've Got Billy Burkowski on, as well as Gary and Armando, myself, and and Freddie. And so, uh, again, thank you, Pat. We, but we really uh, value the opportunity of getting your kind of your input on this. Um, Billy kind of touched upon SAT, and then I asked him to kind of touch upon surface diving from an offshore standpoint. Um, and so I. I guess we kind of like to get your perspective on that for both, both areas, both modes of diving. Um, and what do you see and, uh, in terms of long-term health of it and, and kind of where we're at right now? Sure. Um, I think that in the U S certainly with the new wind farm, uh, aspect of work, which is coming, um, full steam ahead up up the Northeast. And I'm, I'm no longer at Oceaneering, uh, Phil, I'm at Aquius 
And, uh, and I made the move a few months back and, and it's been great. And it's just part of the, the I'm going to say like the, uh, migration or the moving around aspect of diving, but it is, uh, unfortunately, and not, you know, a terrible aspect of it. It is unfortunately a nature of the business that people do move around. And with that comes different perspectives. They may have been from older, uh, larger American diving companies that uh, used to work offshore Gulf of Mexico that are no longer around that there used to be a lot more divers coming up through a, like a tribal type of tender process where you would come out of a dive school and then you would go to the Gulf for a few years and then you would be an offshore diver. And now it's different. Now a lot of these dive schools are attracting guys to work inland. Their divers are coming up now want to get paid and, and good on them. And uh, they, they're looking for prop, their projects and, and things closer to home. So the pay is starting to kind of level out on the union side of things. There's unions that are acquiring dive schools or dive schools that are failing. They're failing to produce guys even that are competent at an entry level. And after the downturn that we've had, we went through a few years ago, including COVID, um, the, there's an uptick now, just like anything else. You can't go to a lot of restaurants to get people to wait on you. It's the same in diving, and the risk is there. So there's still people that are getting uh, inland work. There's still people that are getting killed uh, at a clip once a month from non-ADC companies doing the type of diving that is, is very risky. It's all risk. It's all risk-based evaluation, whether or not, your dive teams are big enough of the right size. If you should be have if there should be that extra fourth or fifth guy there for whether or not you think scuba diving is a way to get a job done or whether or not and it doesn't matter whether or not you're from inland or from offshore. And I still think there is a bit of a uh crips in the bloods to for lack of a better term with some of the inland uh diving companies and divers as opposed to offshore. They they each offer a lot of challenges. I know that Detroit River job that's going up on for Ballard right now is it looks miserable to me. But those guys are doing some penetrations and freezing cold and breaking the ice, and they've you know they've got their risk managed. Um, I'm not saying that they don't know that there's risk there, but you know that article I sent you last week with that guy in South Florida that was working for a large construction company that probably didn't even know that there was regulatory that they were not anywhere near following, and that. You know, they had to have the local rescue teams come um, come and save them. And there is, there's two levels in the offshore market, right? There's the deep water DP um, work that's going on in the U.S. There are foreign divers, foreign nationals working in the U.S. on foreign flag vessels. Um, there's that foreign office, that Fairness Act, which has a lot to do with the unions in the Northeast, which is a big aspect of, you know, making sure that we've got guys that are working and at least getting a chance to get the work, whether or not it's wind farm, union, offshore Gulf of Mexico. And then there's the inland or should say shallower water sat work when, in, you know, Billy and I have worked together in the past where the anchor sat uh, in some instances a few months out of the year. It's not a problem, but sometimes when you're trying to do some deeper anchor sat boat work in uh, November or in March, uh, things can get scratched. You can drag anchors and so there's, it's all risk. It's, a lot of it's been done years and years, and it's the way stuff has gone. But um, I think now in the 2023 that there's enough people that are uh, aware of, you know, hey, there's could be a better way to do this, or there's some new new ways to look at this, or you know, I don't know what we're what price we think we're we're saving or who we're fighting here because 
a lot of the diamond companies, like I said, they have people that have, you know, worked with different, you know, different colored shirts or different colored coveralls, yet the work is, is still pretty much the same. And it's how the company you're working for is managing the risk and, uh, and seeing what the potential is and, and really the clients that you're working for, the people that aren't too concerned and are looking at the bottom line for the price are usually the ones that are involved with the, oh, we didn't know we were supposed to do that, or, oh, uh, we didn't realize that that was a risk. So we just keep talking about it. You know, I, I think podcasts are great. I think meetings are great. Like we said, I think we have round table discussions, Phil, last time you and I together out in California, it was, you know, it's, it's good, lively conversation. And there's managing the risk with the diver, with the diver at the end of the hose is what we're all worried about. And then making people aware of the risk, the risk, tell them how we're going to solve it, how we're going to do it safely. And, uh, you know, sometimes the, the cost of that is is the cost of it. It's not, a, oh, we're going to do it cheaper and, uh, you know, we're, we don't see the risk that way because, you know, we puff our chests out. I really feel as if that show, that sewer divers, is, a, is not a good look for the industry. And those guys are making a living. I'm not saying that their risk is different from mine. I'm simply saying that that's, uh, it's not a good look for our industry. It's not a, it's, it's not a, a way that we want to proceed and we, we want to be depicted, you know, that it's okay to take this risk and that you're relying on somebody topside when, um, you know, you, you, in some instances you're, you're not really thinking the whole thing through or your risk isn't, you know, something that's governed or something that you've even researched. So, you know, there's that type of discussion that's to be had as well. So, yeah. And, and a lot of that's TV shows in general. Just want to let our listening audience yeah. know that it's not specifically those guys. It's just a lot of times that, you know, divers are portrayed in the media and on TV shows, you know, these script writers, th- that's what they are. They're script writers. So they, you know, make this drama, you know, that's not real drama. It's actually mitigated by the crew there. But uh, yeah, you're right. You know, I, I really do wish that a lot of times uh, they would portray our industry a little bit more serious, but if they did, then nobody would watch. So that's, that's that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Safety is boring, right? Safety is boring, but it makes you a lot of money though, because you're still alive. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Just to tell a, a couple more stories uh, in, in my career, we have been in Pat has probably also approached by a discovery channel, the history channel, and they wanted to make uh, reality TV shows about deep sea diving. And they wanted it based on the success of, is it biggest catch? Is the, yeah. They were fishing in the, the Arctic and, you know, they and then they, they, they would come these crews twice, once with Epic and once with superior. Uh, they came and sat down with us. And after about the fourth or fifth hour of hazard and job planning and uh, just going through the minutia of the risk and the risk management. And did we manage it out to the lowest possible? They were like, when are we going to get to the good stuff? I'm like, okay. And, you know, we sent them out offshore in one case and it, the job, it was so planned and everything was uh, so by the book that they had no drama. Um, and even on one edit, they tried to make it look like the, 
the diver didn't have enough air and all they were doing was switching from bank A to bank B. <laughs> and, and you know, our, our management didn't let, they're like, no, no, you're not going to make it look like, you know, the narrator came on. If they don't switch over correctly, the diver will run out of air. And it was just switching from bank to bank. And, you know, like I said, it's, 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 it's risk assessed. Like Pat said, uh, it's risks are managed. Um, these it is a hazardous, uh, field. It's heavy construction with life support, um, but we're managing that risk, and that's what we do for a living: is is manage and mitigate these risks and hazards. So, uh, with with that being said, I did want to ask both you guys. Um, I know that there's a lot of risk associated with burning underwater with when it comes to saturation and burning underwater in general. Uh, how has that changed uh, over the years for you guys um, as far and what are the current requirements to burn underwater? So that's a good question, Garen. We have a project coming up um, and uh, we're going to be doing some burning pretty deep. And through the years, it was no burning on tubulars that had any product in it or you would initially do a vent um, burning conductors or anything that, where there's any hydrocarbons present and it was very loose and there's been some issues through the years and, and unfortunately some really, really hard lessons learned with some people and um, the industry moved away from burning on any conductors. Industry moved away from burning on pipelines um, as, a, you know, as a safety uh, precaution and all the majors were okay with it and all the miners were okay with it and everybody was okay with it. And what we're seeing now is in some instances, you can't use a mechanical diamond wire saw or a type of any type of cutter to get into some of these gussets, into some of these areas where some burning needs to be done. So the cost of a burning rig, thousand foot burning rig, Gary, you any idea what one cost? A uh, thousand foot? I got a few ideas, but if I tell my customers prices, they'll they'll freak out on me. <laughs> right. So it's expensive. Price of copper. And just to get a burner rig set up for that depth and the amount of uh, everything, planning and everything else, because if you don't set the burner rig up properly, you're not going to, it's not going to last. It's going to separate itself because the weight of that cable will part itself, right? So really burning has taken, you know, because you're spending well over the price of a, you know, because you need a couple of them, right? You can't just go out with one. So you're, you're into almost, you're, you're, you're at the six figure range for setting up to go burning uh, for uh, with a thousand foot burner rig. And people are thinking, well, that's not for a thousand feet of water. That's, and you, you have to get, you have, and then you have to put a splice in and you have to make sure, you know, there's a lot of things that you, that you're doing that you don't want to do. And so planning wise, it almost turned to, man, we should just have the RV cut it if we can. So we've seen some of the burning in deep water, um, kind of evaporate, you know, it, it's, there's still a need for it. There will always be a need for it, but when you have to do it, you're going to spend some money to get it set up for it. Your burner rigs expire. Uh, I should say they expire because once you get them wet a few times, they start to consume themselves. They don't do well. Nothing does well once it's been wet in salt water and then has to sit for a while. So, but uh, we're not afraid of it, Gary. It's, it's risk assessed. It's planned. It's usually the last option, but, in some instances, it's what you have to do, you know. And and really, the only the only thing I would I, I would add is uh, just to expand on what he said is it is 
we treat it as the last option. You know, is there a mechanical way to do it? Can we engineer it out? Um, can we have uh, a, a robot cut it for us? Can we do it with a saw and a diver uh, be a safe distance away or, or on the surface? Um, it, we always treat it as uh, the last option, but uh, there are times when it is the, the best option. Um, sometimes not exposing folks to cranes and uh, cranes and lifting and rigging and saw placement um, is is safer. Um, so we we risk we balance all that and risk assess it. Um, and I think uh, most companies have treated it as a, a permitted process, whether they call it an MOC or a permit. You you can't just come across something find it and then have the divers burn it out of the way, uh, old school. So, uh, what kind of robots have you guys been using? Is, how would you, how would you set up like an ROV to do something like that? So with a super grinder or super, you know, a large, basically a large grinding disc on the end of one of their drive motors is essentially what it, the robot or the cutter would look like. We've gone to, and, and, Gary, we're, we're doing a lot of burning right now on, on another project. It's an inland project where we're cutting sheet pile. And we've gone to all the folks out there that have rail mills and cutters and come up with questions on how to mount them and um, cutting sheet pile with the, with the, you know, with the torches is still um, how it's getting done. And, uh, you know that 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 hasn't gone away, and there isn't it isn't going to go away in the lo- remote locations and the size. It's just it's simply and those guys are great burners. They're you know they're going through it. They're going through, you know. Uh, so I did uh, want to let you guys know that if you are ha- having any questions about mitigating uh, issues while burning, we are working on developing a program with our engineering team and with some consultants. Uh, to help mitigate out any issues when burning to keep everything safer for, for everyone as a whole, because we know that right now burning is the last option. Um, so we would like to help with that. Um, and yeah. So did you, you want to talk Armando about the, uh, the question that you had? Yeah. I, I just had a question, you know, about, uh, about bailouts when you're doing like a saturation work. Um, we know that you're going to use the mix that you're breathing on, you know, in your bailout bottle. Um, I, I heard from a friend of mine, we did an episode with him that he worked with a company that they were using rebreathers. So I was wondering if you guys were using rebreathers as the bailout, or is that something that's still in the experimental phase? So as far as where we're at with the SLS or the secondary life support and the and the bailouts, um, the bail, those, those, or that system, um, has been updated from JFD out of the UK and they use them a lot in the North Sea. And what we've found is, is that the original first generation ones required the divers to kind of go through ASIN training and be two to three different, you know, motions in order to go on for bailout. Duration wise, um, you were going to get a, an additional, 15 to 17, 18 minutes, depending on depth, which was great, which is absolutely what you wanted to have. The first generation SLS systems that were in the market um, were pretty robust. So they updated them, they made them better, quote unquote. What happened was is they didn't make them better and they regressed. They were having problems problems with them flooding and they had some fiber uh, bailout uh, 
components to them with the carbon fiber uh, pressure vessels that were leaking. And so the, the, those systems were, a lot of them hit the market as used and uh, JFD is updating that and upgrading them right now. They are still going through their trial by fire because really that's the only way that the, the second generation SLS or the rebreathers can, can kind of pass mustard. But what's happening now is the hats and the modifications and the amount of servicing that's required is requiring to carry extra personnel offshore. So now there's the, the weight to the, is it worth it? Is the juice worth the squeeze? We are still looking at when they get the corner turned and they get all the, the kinks ironed out. And there's been the, let's just say, you don't want to buy the first car model year off the lot in, in no uncertain terms. There's been a lot of problems with the second generation of the Cobras. So we're still using the large 300 bar bailouts with the DIN fitting. So we have uh, hose management uh, risk mitigation where we don't have as so much hose out that the diver can't get back to the bell and that we're, uh, we're too, too concerned with it right now because it's been done this way for X amount of years that we feel as if, yes, the safety is there. We're moving towards it, but it has to be worth it. We have to justify it. We think that the purchase is coming up. But the problem is now for the market is people see, oh, well, these first generation uh, rebreathers are on sale. Well, we should get them. It's like timeout. Those parts are not, those are ones that people are dumped and those parts are not being supported and some of those components are not being supported and they have to be reworked and sent back to the manufacturer. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's literally like buying a used car that somebody's beaten up and it's leaking oil. The used rebreathers in the market are there and, and the manufacturers stopped supporting the older ones in 2019. So part wise, um, some companies have a stockpile of them and use them at a depth below 500 feet as a as a uh, you know as a safety type of thing where they want to preserve what they have and feel as if they're 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 extending that. And we're looking at it right now, really, really hard as far as uh, when we're going to take the plunge because it's a couple million dollars in investment. So. So it's a pretty big cost. You know, a lot of the conversation, you know, well, the conversation's always been there, right? I mean, it's not like it's a new conversation, but it really started to heat up a little bit, you know, during the uh, Chris Lemons, you know, incident. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had him on the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack and he was able to talk a little bit on that, you know, and then, like I said, my buddy who we, who we were going to have on, he also talked about it too. Um, so the conversation, it sounds like it's, you know, heating up a little bit, you know, because of all that stuff that was in the media and the news and the documentary and all that stuff, you know? So, uh, I think it's a good thing personally, if you can get 17 more minutes, you know, of, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's a good rating. thing. That's definitely a good thing. So that's kind of the takeaway. Uh, what you said is that the technology still isn't completely there. Is that correct? Correct. Now, is this something that you guys are talking about amongst different companies in the offshore business, or do you have bigger fish to fry? Unfortunately, there isn't that much collaborative discussion between competitors as far as whether or not we're going to use it or if there's, it, it's driven by a lot of the majors and what their requirements are. Okay. So um, until it is a requirement, then you might not see many changes. I'm speaking from where I'm at right now at Aquis personally, because yeah. the company's owned by a diver. We're, we have a mandate that we're, 
run in the European style as far as nine-man bell runs regardless. As soon as we rationally, as soon as we can rationalize that the ones in the market are right now are, they've ironed out all the kinks, we'll buy them. Regardless, we'll fold that cost into it. We will purchase them. Nice. So it wasn't a gotcha question. I'm sorry. No, no, that's all right. You know, it's just a... Just wanted to know. Yeah, and to, and to gotcha, Pat, if you feel like that, we the same thing. Um, we've got some Cobras out back um, with the Sat Tex. Uh, you can't buy one. You have to have three. You have to have one in operation, one as a spare, and then one with the Sat department getting fixed, repaired, spare parts. So, you know, one is none is in the diving industry. Sometimes it's you, need, you have to have three. Um and like I said, the, there are some real benefits. If, you get, if you're getting close to 20 minutes of, of uh, viable uh, gas um, after a failure, that, that's incredible. And we have had no, no failures using them. Um, but until you get real deep, the, uh, the, those big bailout bottles are uncomfortable, hard to manage, but they're incredibly reliable. So you got to do the math. You have to do the math. And not, not get too far away um, from the from the bell for the for the listeners. Uh, you know, you have to do the math. How much how much is in that bottle uh, at your depth? How far can you get away from the bell? How long is it going to take you to get back and make sure that you have enough breathing air for those divers to to reasonably get back at an elevated uh, rate of respiration? And and I just wanted to also add to what both Pat and Billy said. This issue um, with SLSs has been an agenda item for at least the last four years with the uh, International Diving Industry Forum, IDIF, which is the principles for that are ADCI, IMCA, as well as uh, IOGP. And, you know, these guys kind of represent at least the IOGP side represent the majors and they haven't really put their foot down in terms of mandating that for all of the reasons that um, both Pat and, and Billy cited. Uh, it's it's not a hundred percent just yet, but I think once all of the bugs have been lined out, you're you're going to see if you want to work for Shell and you're diving deep, you're going to have to have that. If you're going to work for ExxonMobil, they all will take suit. But until it's completely lined out, they, they can't mandate it just yet. And, and Phil had a, a great point for the non-divers listening. If you're, if you're underwater and you go to bailout, um, you've exhausted a bunch of options and you can't have something that works 99% of the time. It has to work every time and and bottles bottles as archaic as they seem they work they'll they'll work you open the valve and you get gas and i think one of the other things too and and pat you you and billy can speak to this is is that depending on what your bell looks like you may have to don those sls's once you actually get outside of the bell because you know that the the diameter of of the bell itself and and to be able to egress out is doesn't allow for the diver to have that SLS on and get through it. Now that's probably for some of the older bells, but um, you know, is that still hold true for the, for the most part guys? 
it definitely takes up it definitely takes up room, but so do those those big bottles. Um, you know, you're you, a lot of times those are on the outside also. Um, uh, like Pat said, the old SLSs that was like a three step process to get gas, and it, and it took training. Um, and then the divers pull the wrong button or get some the 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 pull release caught on something, and you had to pick the bell up and reset everything. Uh, the, the ones being pad dove. Um, but you know, they are, they are much better now and, I, and you're probably really close to, to being absolutely reliable, but yeah, the, you know, twin, twin bottles or SLSs, uh, getting those in and out of, you, you're not going to put those on and then, and then get, get through the, uh, get through the hatch. So I did have a, another question. What, what are you guys doing uh, to address the uh, energy transition? And I know you spoke, Pat, earlier about the um, the windmill work that's coming up. Um, is is how are you guys addressing that as a company? I, I'll ask you first, Pat, and then if you could comment, Billy, that would be great. Oh sure. So Aquas is been acquired by Michaels Corporation. We have another separate entity, Aquas Marine, and uh, they're a wind farm, and you know, they're a huge construction uh, conglomerate that uh, needed a offshore piece. So that's where Aquas came in to fit into their type of turnkey uh, worldwide approach. Um, you know, businesses change, and that's the uh, that's the pivot right now. There's a lot of work being done off the Northeast and we're, we have uh, crews up there now that are part of our, you know, our, our large company and, and uh, you know, there's standards being thrown around. There's European contractors that are in that are using IMCA terms of reference. I know Phil has done a lot of talk with uh, Pete and the IMCA fellows about, you know, what is going to, how we're cross pollinating, uh, certificates for divers and there's still a hang up on the supervisor, but terms of reference in a contract is still the dive here has to be to an IMCA standard. So there's a lot of that, um, the world's small now and the, the North Sea, uh, alternate, or I should say wind farm contractors are coming into the U S it's real popular, uh, the Northeast now, and there's been money spent in New Jersey and, and in Massachusetts and the Long Island, uh, New York, Rhode Island, you name it. So, if the business is, is offshore construction, which is what we're in, then we're we're interested. And if the diving work is uh, a combination of ABCI, IMCA, and Union, we're interested. We're, we're interested as well. So we're 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 into some new grounds, but we've been talking about it, and um, it's uh, it's all it's all a, it's all an easy industry to move into because our terms of reference we're not introducing any type of uh, far-flung uh, risk. There is things that we've discussed, but it is it is, uh, it is a good business to move into. There is a lot of uh, uh, time spent front, and I should say on the front side planning. So it's an it's a interesting time right now for our industry, for sure. Okay, Billy, did you have anything, uh, a perspective from what you guys are doing to address the energy transition? No, um, nothing that, that Pat didn't say. Uh, we do deep sea diving, and uh, you know the the business development guys are out there uh, chasing deep sea diving. So we've got wind farm bids out. We've got uh, decommissioning bids out. Um, we got rid of forty some platforms last year. We've got a couple construction jobs out right now. Um, 
you know, we had a really, really deep job last year. Um, and I think we currently have guys on the side of the road in a ditch fixing a pipeline, uh, that, that, uh, in, in Dulac. So, uh, you know, doing, doing diving. Um, and I, I mean, I don't mean to sound flippant or easy, but, uh, you know, we, we, construction's construction for the, for those guys. Um, and, and like Pat said, uh, you know, meeting EMCA, meeting ADCI, meeting the Coast Guard, meeting the client's requirements. That's, that's stuff, you know, we, we do every day. So. Nice. Now piggybacking off of a uh, Gary's question. Um, it sounds like there's going to be room for growth in our sector and it sounds like there's going to be more work and more jobs. And if you guys are already feeling a little bit of a pinch, um, there's going to be more work out there. You know, that's what that means, right? If it, it's hard to hire people right now. So, uh, our workforce is changing. We are seeing more, uh, more females in the workforce, more, you know, different types of cultures and people coming in. Uh, we've had divers on our show that are female divers and they have a desire to get into SAT. Do you have any suggestions or any advice that you might give those divers? I, I think that um, for me, I, I think that that balloon has already been popped. I know uh, you guys had Marnie on and um, she's already been in. She's done a lot of time. And uh, now it's just, you know, standing on her shoulders, following in those footsteps. There is no, uh, uh, we don't have any evaluation criteria outside of that. Uh, there's in the delineation. We all put women in SAT um, when they're ready, when they've worked up, and we have a lot of uh, women right now in our company and in our ranks that are uh, on the on the path. So I think we'll have a couple women in SAT here at this company within the next 24 months. To be honest with you. So uh, there was a there was a race off of personnel and. Um, there's been a, a reemergence, and uh, I think that we have. I don't. I don't even know the number of how many female tenders and divers we have. To be honest with you, it's just it's not something that I, I'd factored in. I know they're here. I ran into them. I haven't been here that long, but I don't think any differently um, who's where or what have you. You know, I see them, and uh, they're part of the workforce. I know we have some real strong divers. We have a real strong diver. I met her at uh, Keeley out in California. Um, and some of the divers we have in the U.S. or sorry, in the Gulf, uh, same thing. They wanted to go out and work in California and stay out there. So I don't see it being a problem at all um, to continue on with women in SAT. Yeah, I don't think I have anything to add. Pat Pat summed it up. The 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 we've had divers, female divers in the Gulf for for years and years. Um, we've had diver, female divers in SAT. Uh, best lead tender I was ever around was a female tender on the back deck of a DP vessel and, and amazing. Um, so like I said, no, no, bar no barriers. The, the wheel, the wheel's been invented. Um, just get more in the industry. There'll be more in SAP. I know it sounded kind of like a silly question initially, but we just wanted to hear it from the horse's mouth and you guys are the horses. You know, you're, you're doing the hiring, you know, you're there, you're running the companies and it's, uh, you know, it's just nice to hear that gender or culture is not an issue at all. 
So those that are listening, don't let that stop you from taking the next step in your career. You know, there's room for you. There's room for growth. There's jobs out there. Um, it's not a matter of there not being enough jobs. It's more a matter of, are you willing to put in the work? Is that correct, guys? Yes. Yeah. And, and we talked about it earlier with, with, with Phil. It's like, man, you know, we hire a lot of guys to get, to get one diver broken out. So the, you know, that, that's, that's true. There'll be more diver, there'll be more females sat when, when we get more females in dive school and then more females hired on and more females tending, more females broken out, more females with enough experience to put them in sat. There's no, there's no secret. It's the exact same that I would tell anybody of any gender, of any sex, of any race. Your job is to work harder, work 10% harder than the guy next to you and do that consistently and you'll, you'll make it. Yeah. One of, one of the things you touched on earlier, Billy, was that the, there's a gap kind of with the, the personnel. you got the guys with the experience and then you got the guys that are coming in or guys or gals. Um, but so what are you guys doing to kind of document some of that tribal knowledge that you lose when you got a guy with experience and you know, there's really a shortage of guys that, and you know, they take that knowledge with them. When, when they retire or they leave the industry? I mean, are you guys, do you have a program in place as a company uh, or like a shadowing program or anything? What are you guys doing to address that? Sure. Uh, we do. We have formal programs to address that. Um, we have SSC programs where a short service employee is mentored. Um, we have a, a work, a competency process. Um, they're getting formally signed off by the supervisors. Um, and then there's just a lot of magic on, on Pat's side that he can speak to with his operations managers and knowing those people and knowing, you know, the guy, the, where to put these guys, what's their specialty? What are they really good at? Who do they work? Where do they work best at? And balancing these crews, um, you know, the, the deep jobs, the technical jobs, no matter the depth um, and balancing, balancing that uh, with these crews, with, with a very experienced supervisor, a few experience, a few very experienced divers, a bunch of breakout guys, and then a bunch of tenders, you know, uh, like I said, a lot of that is, is the, the, what, what Pat and the operation side bring to it. But, there are. We do have a formal progressive progression through the career policy. We have a competency scheme to get these guys uh, trained up, experienced, signed off on to document it. Um, see, you know, when, when me and Pat were diving, when Phil was diving, you know, these guys did. We didn't have CVs and, and resumes. We had we had a long book and a reputation, um, good or bad. And, uh, you know, now that's just not not the same thing. It's a. Uh, it is more formalized. And having said that, there's, there's a lot that those guys do when they're balanced, when they're, when they're putting crews out there to make sure that the best crews out for the best job with, for the best result. And to further that, Gary, we don't have uh, a hard and fast checklist. If you hire on and you check all these boxes that you're a diver, there is that evaluation process that goes through and there's, Certainly the, the team aspect of it. If you're a hard worker, you're going to get more opportunities to learn in the water than you are if you're somebody that just feels as if you're entitled or that you're going to go do your time or you've done enough diving or you don't feel like diving on this job because uh, it's not glamorous. 
it's it's tiresome work. You have to be uh, in the right mind frame to do it, and uh, you know it, it's not for everyone. So, how people come to that realization? Sometimes uh, they're told. Sometimes they don't get any work, and and then other times they can decide for themselves that they don't want to do it, or they decide for themselves they don't want to do it anymore. So, there is a high attrition rate in diving. Um, but at its core, certainly in the U.S., Northern Gulf of Mexico, um, how the old tender system works. And we just had this conversation. It's funny, in our previous, in our Friday supervisors call with our company, and I sent it out. I said, we need to at least get some formal stuff written down. Does it take two years? Can you beat the two years, or do you have to do two years in order? Do you, how long are you a diver tender for? How many evals do you need to have? Is it easy for people to get evals? It's really easy to to track and hear names because usually you hear, I don't want that guy back on this job or they want her back over on this project. So we spend time getting them you know, onboarded. You spend time getting them in and, and there's instances and a lot of instances where you keep the kid for a little bit longer and they can kind of get past it. You know, and it's like anything else. You don't just get rid of a guy in minor league baseball because he strikes out or he doesn't know. or he... So that that's the human aspect of it. But you certainly want to have them in the right frame of mind so that when they're down there and there's they don't have visibility, nobody can watch them, and they're working as part of a team, and they're able to follow directions, and they're able to listen, and they're able to, uh, you know, not put themselves in a bad spot that um, you're managing them as a risk. So are you going to be able to feel like projects can go forward if this person goes in the water or are you going to be, uh, you know, nervous the entire time? Or, so there, there's a lot of the human element that goes into it. It, it. it is a, it is a very, very unique career that way. Yeah. And, uh, and, and not just breaking out too, like the, the dancing to sat, um, man, you know, if you're, if you're a member of a crew, uh, you might be able to lay back, but when there's a hundred people on a vessel and everybody is waiting for the diver to get his job done, man, there's, there's no, there's no hiding whether you're doing it well or you're doing it poorly. Uh, everybody on that vessel, the whole only reason that vessel is out there, those sat techs, the cooks, everybody is to ensure you get to that work site safely and you get done effectively and efficiently. And if you're not, man, you, there's nothing to hide behind. You, Billy didn't get as many bolts in as Pat, and he's the bottom of the list. <laughs> that is like the worst thing to hear as a diver waiting on the diver. We call it a wad. <laughs> like yes. Wad again. Waiting uh, on the diver. Wait on, what are you doing? Waiting on the diver. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of nicknames were born that way. Did anybody get any any good nicknames coming up? Oh man, I, none, none that I can say. Uh, I see the recording button is still on, uh, but but when that when that red light turns off, I'll I'll hook you up. <laughs> That's awesome. Pretty interesting. Yeah, it's too funny. Uh, the uh, the one I will share with you is we had a kid uh, fell overboard. And his name was Splash after that. And everybody called him Splash to the point his mom started calling him Splash. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's when it sticks. <laughs> yeah, it stuck. <laughs> <laughs>
That's too funny. Yeah, I had one kid drag up because they called him Avatar. That was it for him. Oh, that was a good name. He <laughs> <laughs> like it. What's up with that? Oh, yeah. Nicknames are not really amazing. We just, just so I'll let everybody know that. It's not. They're never, yeah, they're never. Yeah, they're never. Positive. Take it as a badge of pride. Even my buddy who was called the Puma, you know, it's not, you know, it's just all good fun. It, it, it's definitely not for the thin skinned. So um, whether it's the guys today or guys in the past, you, you know, you, you got to be able to take it. And if you're, uh, if you're pretty thin skinned and sensitive, um, yeah, you're probably not coming back out again. Yeah, no matter how big and bad you are. So. But hey, guys, I really, really want to thank you for taking time. I know Pat, Billy, you guys are busy. So you're getting paid not to be on the podcast, but I really appreciate you breaking away and taking the time um, to come on board and shed some light on the uh, offshore industry, both both sad and surface diving. Um, you know, I, I've looked to you guys as, as mentors. I've enjoyed working with you throughout the years. And so I, I'm sure I'm not alone in valuing your opinion about how things look now and, and kind of prospects for the future. So uh, I don't have anything else. Gary, did you have anything else that you wanted to add? No, just just uh, kind of echoing that. Thank you guys for joining us. And I look forward to seeing you guys at the next safety meetings. And uh, your contribution is always helpful, especially uh, when I'm working here on on the end user side uh, for, for developing products. So, uh, and if you guys ever um, need anything, uh, from Broco, you just let me know. Yeah, we'll do, Gary. Thanks. I'll see you. If, I don't know. Next so before you guys go again, I also wanted to thank you. Um, we just wanted to to reverify that if you're listening, uh, Helix and Aqueous, you guys are actively hiring. Is that correct? Absolutely. And we're hiring for what positions? All positions. Yes, admin, we love to the hear. Tender, the sat diver, the sat supervisor, the crane operator, the rigger. Yeah, nice. get, get it. Every every position, every position. I might have to come out of my city job retirement. <laughs> come on. All right, so Phil, let's get into those quick hits. Thank you, guys. So, in looking at the. Items that uh, the ADCI have been involved in um, this past October, the board of directors went ahead and ratified the requirement for all general members and associate member schools. So all contractors and schools need to submit to periodic audits, contractors every five years and schools every two years. Well, the question is, well, when will this kick off? kick off March of 2024. So what we want to do is just take the time to make sure that 6.5 has been ratified, 6.5 of the consensus standards for commercial diving and underwater operations, that that's ratified and that the audit protocols for both contractors and schools are reflective of the changes in 6.5. So that's the reason why we're going to hold off uh, and wait until the ratification of that 
looking to have that done by the fourth quarter of this year. And of course, we'll need some time to make some adjustments to the supervisor's exam, as well as um, the audit protocols for for the schools and the contractors. So it's a pretty big thing. uh, But you know, as, as discussed in previous episodes, industry, whether it's regulators, clients, and users, and even the contractors themselves, all look at this as a positive and they have a huge appetite for it. And as such, I'll be presenting at the American Equity Underwriters uh, Conference, annual conference in Chicago in April. And one of the things that we'll be looking at and discussing is the audit requirement as well as other industry challenges. So I thought, you know, folks needed to know about that because that is, that's a, that's a big thing. And that came out of the audit initiative that we had from 2017 uh, that finally finished in June of 2022. A couple of other important items, ADCI in working with, uh, Santa Barbara City College and some of the other schools uh, in the U.S. will be looking to assume stewardship of the ANSI standard for minimum requirements for commercial diving, uh, diver training. And that is an action item that we're going to take on as an association. Uh, Really, the standard has been kind of static and you know, ANSI, if you don't revise it and you don't keep it up, they'll pull it out of the standards altogether. So we're going to be working really hard to go ahead and get that under our stewardship and also make some needed revisions to the standard so that it's reflective of what's going on globally. Um, If you're familiar with the standard, the ANSI standard, um, ANSI ACDE 01 2015, you know that there are some areas in there that it's pretty deficient in, one of which is there's absolutely no requirement for SAT theory. Not necessarily that you have to have any practical training for SAT, but if you're going to become a commercial diver, you should at least be exposed to SAT, SAT theory. So that's just uh, one area that will be looking to tackle and revise with with the standard. And I'll have more information on that in future episodes. Talked about the ADCI Supervisor's Handbook. Uh, That's at the printer now and will be out and ready for sale um, in March of this year. Also mentioned the consensus standards for commercial diving and underwater operations, 6.5. We're going to kick that out. Uh, hopefully in the fourth quarter of this year, the board of directors will look at the proposed revisions, which really cover a variety of different areas. We've got uh, section 2.0, diving personnel, medical and training requirements. We're going to be looking at diving personnel responsibilities and you're saying, okay, what's going to change in there? Really, we're going to be looking uh, at kind of making sure that the matrix that we have for certification issues are reflective of the fact that we have an ROV certification and a curriculum that is being taught by at least two schools. But that's not in the consensus standard. So we're going to go ahead and uh, 
issue that and also add some language in terms of the association having the right to reject any applications for certification um, if we can't be confirmed that the training program or school complies or adheres to the standards um, you know outlined in in the ADCI consensus standards and so I that that really is kind of a a takeaway from the issues that we dealt with with CDA from last year. Uh, so we have no more questions uh, and, and no more gray area uh, in the future. We'll be looking at diving modes and really having a piece in there which speaks to the prohibition of the use of hookah and explaining what hookah is. Uh, also, really highlighting the requirement for emergency O2 equipment at the dive site and what that needs to look like, you know, delivery minimums and, uh, you know, these and, and other equipment requirements that we haven't outlined and required in the past. And that that's going to change. Also, proposed revisions to commercial scuba. So if you're going to use it, it needs to look a certain way, uh, one of which is the proposal for a four-man dive team if you are going to use commercial scuba, and then also listing um, some of the minimum equi equipment requirements, which, again, it's a little gray if you look at minimum equipment requirements for commercial scuba as it stands right now in the consensus standards. We're going to look at... Uh, some changes to the welding and burning section, just some precautionary, more precautionary language in there, uh, as well as some uh, additional language for emergency aid and chamber requirements for that. Um, some life support equipment requirements with respect to maintenance and testing. Uh, a real overhaul and rewrite of the ROV section and, um, of course, some changes to the audit reports that to reflect those changes. Um, one of the things, too, in the audit report that was deficient, which we will add, is a big piece on safety management systems and looking at the requirement for management, leadership, and participation, planning, implementation, and operation, evaluation, and corrective action, management review, risk assessment, industry tracking, all of the things that really come into a robust safety management system. Uh, we're we're going to have that in 6.5 in the new audit protocol. Uh, some last-minute things. I just want to remind everyone that the Commercial Diving Hall of Fame and scholarship nominations that's open until 3 March, so that deadline's coming in. If you want to nominate someone for the ADCI scholarship program or uh, for induction into the Commercial Diving Hall of Fame, you're running out of time. 3 March 2023 is the deadline. Also, uh, even though this isn't necessarily an association issue, but I want to remind everyone and encourage everyone, if you haven't already, to, and you can, to sponsor the Oil Field Diving Monument in Morgan City, Louisiana, as well as the Deep Sea Diving Monument in Santa Barbara, California. These are all 
very worthwhile causes to um, really kind of promote the legacy of commercial diving on both uh, the Gulf of Mexico as well as off the West Coast. And those are quick hits. And I wanted to, uh, again, thank everybody for coming on board. Um, you know, both Pat and Billy uh, are, are two individuals that are dialed in. Not only do they serve on numerous committees industry-wide, um, you know, they're, they sit on executive committees for both the uh, U.S. Gulf of Mexico Diving Safety Work Group or the IDIF, the International Diving Industry Forum. Uh, so uh, we, we, they're, they're pretty plugged in. And um, I think uh, they brought a lot and shed a lot of light on some of the challenges that we're facing now and and kind of uh, some positive prospects for the future. Yeah, it was really great to, to hear their perspective. Um, really interesting when they start talking about offshore uh, diving and the business, uh, something I don't readily hear all the time. We do hear a lot about inland, so uh, it's really nice to, to learn Um so going forward, I am interested in how kind of the windmills are going to take over. I don't know. Have you seen anything during your diving, Armando, with, in regards to the windmills? You know, that's always been like one of those, oh, the windmills are coming. The windmills are coming. We're going to be all super busy, you know, and this and that. And But uh, personally here, you know, diving on the West Coast, no. Uh, I, I don't think we're going to get many windmills here on the West Coast. That's an East Coast thing. And uh, we will be having guests on the Bottom Dweller show uh, talking about that. So um, we got a good friend that's diving out of Boston that uh, hopefully you can try to get him on. And uh, he's been doing some pile driving, uh, topside work on the windmills already. So it'll be a second stint going out there. So hopefully I can get him on and I will talk about that. But there is work out there. It's not uh, that mystery work, you know. But as far as diving work, I haven't heard too much about it, no. Yeah, you're, you're right about that. And I think there's some other challenges which um, need to be lined out. One, Pat mentioned it, and that was the Fair Workers Act. I mean, there's, there, there's a lot of politics that come into play when we start looking at renewables, especially the wind farms on the East Coast, um, you know, involving international companies as well as the unions here in in the u.s um there's issues with respect to assets available to be able to do that type of work um and the the assets available for the most part are coming from outside of the u.s so we come and put the fair worker act into place um and and we start looking at some of these things that may prohibit uh outside entities, when I say outside, outside of the U.S. entities being involved in these projects, um, it may cause a little bit of a pause until the, the assets that are being built and, and available here in the U.S. kind of come into play. And that's all happening right now as we speak. So it's going to be a lot of interesting dynamics, a lot of moving parts when we start talking about offshore renewables. But it's coming. You know, that's the takeaway here. It's coming and uh, it's going to be a worldwide thing. So, you know, there's going to be jobs, but there might not be jobs for us Americans. So, you know, I'm not saying that it's not not going to be jobs for us, but you've got to remember that this is 
you know, a worldwide thing. These foreign companies might be coming in to uh, supply either the materials or, or, or the manpower. So um, don't rely on that. Keep grinding, keep hustling. If you're a diver, if you're a contractor that's bidding on these uh, jobs, you know, just do your best. You can't sacrifice safety for, you know, being the lowest bidder. Right, Phil? Absolutely. Um, you know, Billy had mentioned it earlier and safety is really the cheapest way to go. And, uh, I, you know, I can't say I learned that the hard way, but I've seen others learn it the hard way. And, uh, you know, really the, the cheapest way to go is to invest in safety and to take it seriously. So, you know what they say, pay now or cry later. And, uh, that's, that really holds true when, you know, you start looking at different countries approach to safety. And if we didn't, if things weren't trending in that direction, then we certainly wouldn't look at things like safety management systems and really requiring that in the uh, upcoming edition of uh, the consensus standards and, and then our audit reports. So safety is even becoming more of a premium um, as we speak, and rightfully so. And for the listeners out there, if you guys have any questions in regards to safety or you ha- want to reach out and email uh, any questions to the Downline Podcast, please make sure you send your emails to philip.newsom at adc-int.org, and we will be happy to include your question in the next podcast or, or answer you directly. Yep, definitely keep listening to the Downline and... Uh I know Phil wants to read your emails. You know, this ain't a secret society or anything like that. You know, we want to make sure that uh, everyone, you know, gets their input listened to and heard and uh, you'll get some answers. You know, it might not be the answers that you want to hear, you know, but, uh, you know, they're realistic, industry specific answers. So, um, yeah, so keep listening. That's the, that's my thing. And I also listen to the bottom dollars dive shack or a little bit more of the lighter side. You don't mind if I plug, do you, Phil? And Gary. Absolutely. Plug, plug away. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, we got got a great season plan. Season three is going along swimmingly. And uh, the downline got some big plans for that, too. And uh, it's going to be great. You know, all this uh, for you guys. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, I really enjoy working with you guys. I think, um, you know, it, the, the issue is trying to get the message out to all demographics within the industry, all stakeholders, not just senior management, not just the divers out in the field, but everyone, because there isn't a single thing that we touched upon in this podcast today, or even in the previous ones, that doesn't affect everyone in industry. So, um, you know, we'll just keep improving and trying to do better and getting the message out. All right. We'll catch you on the next episode of the downline next month. Thanks. Thanks.